He is risen. Oh, what a great day to be here, and what a, what a difference a year makes. You know, all week long, I've been thinking about us and how we spent last Easter, and we spent it apart, and it was just odd for me because we weren't together as one, and even driving in this morning, I was talking to Marla, and I was like, and we get to be together this morning, and I just I rejoice in the fact that, that we're in a place where we can, but also I'm very thankful that you're here and that you get to participate with us on this great resurrection day. So uh, this, this church is all about Jesus, just in case you didn't realize that, and you're going to know more about that today as, as I continue on with my message. But if you're brand new to DBC, whether in the room or somewhere uh, online, I want you to know that you're actually in week four of a series called Darkness Before the Dawn. And what I've been talking about specifically is the meekness of Jesus, that Jesus, although he had profound strength, and any time he could have stopped everything that was going there because he had the authority and the power to do so, but he didn't. He followed through on the cross because he knew that that was the only way that we, those of us who are redeemed, could be right with our Heavenly Father. And what I've said and just summarized three weeks, now if you've sat through these three weeks, you're like, why couldn't you have done this out of week one and we'd have been, you know, had a lot more time, but I'll summarize what I've said so far with this phrase, Jesus' passivity at his death is replaced now by his activity at his resurrection. So now you see in the first three weeks of this series, we've really highlighted the meekness, the passivity of Jesus. Jesus was going along with the, the, the trials. He had done nothing wrong, and yet he was going along with the six trials, which then led him to the cross before all of these other authority figures. And Jesus did that silent. Like a lamb before the shearers is what the Word of God says, that Jesus goes to the cross, but now we know that he's resurrected, right? Because we know uh, what the Word of God says. Speaking of the Word of God, I invite you to go into your Bible or your phone if you have one, if you'd like to read along with us. And we're going to be in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. We've been following along in this passage uh, in, in Matthew 27 particularly, we started this series talking about Jesus in the garden when he was praying and he was there with the fellows and, and his friends were there and three different times they, Jesus pulled away and they fell asleep and it was just, I don't know what, maybe they needed like a Red Bull or something, I'm not really sure what was going on, but they were sleepy and he would come back and he, and he would just kind of talk to them again and again and again until his arrest and then ultimately, we've, we've followed along with the six trials. And now, after Jesus is, is dead, and now, just I'm not going to dig too deeply into this, but uh, we know that he was entombed. And now, in verse 1, it says this, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, i gotta, I got to laugh at this real quick. I realize this sermon could be really, really long if I keep doing this, but like we're in verse 1. Uh, okay, she's this, this other Mary. This is not Jesus' mother, by the way. Several times Mark references her as the other Mary. So it's like, no, 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 it's not Mary Magdalene. It's the other Mary. I, I apologize if you always feel like you're the other Mary. But, hey, she made her name in the Bible. That's a pretty cool thing, although she's just known as, as the other Mary. Um, anyway, we'll move on. Verse 2, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, there's four key things we're going to draw out in this message. Here they are. 
The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from their tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings. They came to him and they clasped his feet and worshipped him. Notice that they recognized who Jesus was. They, they knew in that moment exactly that this was a resurrected Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and God, you are magnificent. We stand in awe of your grace and your mercy and your truth. God, that you, you, you exist in perfection, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask, God, that the Holy Spirit would invade our spirit, invade our minds and our hearts today. God, that you would wrench out of us that is not of you, but you would fill of, of us the things that is of you. And Lord, I pray that my words would not get in the way of what you're trying to say today. Uh, Jesus, I just I, I let you know that I recognize that you have the authority. You have all authority. And you have the authority over my words. You have the authority over this crowd. You have the authority over this church. And everything that happens in our lives, God, we give you your rightful place of authority over us. And we ask that you would do with us as you see fit. And we pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you today about, about a common topic. What do you think I'm going to talk to you about? Common topic. It's Easter Sunday. What do you think it is? Somebody tell me. Resurrection. Wrong answer. But we are going to get there eventually. I baited you into that one. Sorry. Any other day, you'd have no clue. Resurrection. We are going to get to that eventually. But I'm going to talk to you right now about Hot Pockets. Anybody like Hot Pockets, by the way? Anyone? It's okay. This is a confessional time. I'm a pastor. I'm a man of God. So what if that means anything to you? Raise your hand. Hot Pockets. Yes. What's interesting, I've asked this question in the past, and there, there's always these people like, I love Hot Pockets, I was raised on Hot Pockets, I'm going to have one for lunch today. And then there's always these other people that are like, it's like a guilty pleasure, so it's like Hot Pockets, and all I see is about three fingers sticking above your chair, that's like the given, it's like Hot Pockets. And then there's some others that are like, what are Hot Pockets? Is that food? Um, you know, here's the thing about Hot Pockets, in my opinion, they're gross, that's my opinion, um, but, but I'm just a man, you know, and you're people, you can do what you want, but I, I ate a lot of Hot Pockets prior to being in ministry, and I worked second shift, so I had to eat things that were, that were basically out of microwaves, and so it was kind of limited to that, and I didn't, you know, know of like lean cuisine and things that maybe would have helped me, instead I just ate Hot Pockets, and by the way, out of a microwave, I don't care if they have that little cardboard thing on there. They don't come out crispy. They don't come out good. In my opinion, they just come out, what is it? Gross, right? Lava in your mouth. Yeah, they just come out hot. At least they're true to their name, Hot Pocket. It's a pocket of lava, lava pocket. Maybe that's how they should term it. Here's the thing. If I were to give you and just say, and say you never had Hot Pockets, right? Or maybe you have had Hot Pockets. And I were to give you, like, and I would just take this journey with me. If we were to take a Hot Pocket, put it in the microwave, and it was a, a lasagna-flavored Hot Pocket. Now, some of you don't even like lasagna, and that's okay. I'll pray for you. But I'm just, the thing is, you may not like lasagna. Take the ride with me if you, if you will. So if I were to give you, like, a lasagna Hot Pocket here, and then at the same time, 
I were to tell you about there was some homemade lasagna that's been just sitting in the oven for two hours, just ruminating, smelling the house, all authentic, all, all you know, all the, the herbs, or as I call it, herbs and spices, all of that was just, all of that was awesome. And then I just presented those two things to you at the same time. Which one are, are you going to go after? You're not going to go after the Hot Pocket. Why? Because you know that the other one is more real. And you know that, that there's something that's just kind of like artificial or superficial, if you will, with, with that Hot Pocket. Now, it will sustain you for a while. It may kill you early. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, you can look the research upon that. But it's like you just know that there's something different between something that's superficial and artificial and something that's real. Can we agree? There's something to this also as it pertains to a walk with Jesus or pseudo-Christianity. Because there is a version, a a watered-down, not Jesus-centric version of Christianity that's weaving its way through our culture right now, and it is indeed superficial. I love what Richard Foster said. He said, superficiality is the curse of our day or of our age, which is interesting. You would think that this is so cutting-edge. That actually is pulled out of a book from about 1983. Hasn't changed much, has it? But yet there's so many things in our in our world right now that are on offer, but are but just are honestly superficial saviors, superficial ways to live, superficial ways to love, superficial ways to see the world, superficial ways to govern a marriage superficial ways to raise kids. There's just something that the world has on offer, and not that the world is getting worse. The world is simply it's just, it's just echoing what has been happening for generation to generation to generation. There's always been a superficial way for us to claim or, or to reap after our own salvation. But if your personal Savior is not a supernatural Savior, I want you to know that it is a superficial Savior. If your Savior is not rooted in a resurrection and in a a miraculous birth and in a sinless life that was proving that He is God on earth, then your Savior is a superficial Savior, and it is not saving you. It may just pacify you. It may just give you a hot pocket, but what God wants to offer you is the real thing. And the real thing is found in Jesus Christ. That's the real thing. So we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate because Jesus proved that he's the real thing. Amen? There's nothing superficial about Jesus. And I want you to know this. There's nothing superficial in a life that is connected to Jesus. But there's a lot of other superficial things outside of Jesus. Superficial saviors will not provide lasting peace. They won't. They won't. They simply will not. They can't. Superficial saviors will not provide lasting peace. Here's some, here's some other superficial saviors. There are some spiritual saviors that are superficial. New Age spirituality is one, just being spiritual is another. Religious activity, being connected to a church, but not being connected to Jesus. That is a a spiritual savior, but it is superficial. Also, anything else, any other pseudo-religious activity that is not connected to Jesus. That's an offer of a spiritual savior. Again, 
superficial. Another one is relational saviors, trusting in people more than God. Trusting in people more than God. If I can only get him right, if I can only get her right, if I can only get my husband right, if I can only get my wife right, if I can only get my kids right, if I can only get my mom right, if I only get my dad right, if I can only get my uncle right, if I could always, if I could just get my boss right, then my life will, will be good. All of these offer a version of the good life, but it's not the best life. The best life is a life committed to Jesus Christ. There are also functional saviors. I was raised with a functional savior. Again, this is a superficial savior. I was raised with a functional savior. It's just a strong work ethic, work, a political affiliation. If you go to college, get married, take some pills, drink some booze, have all the sex you want. All of those things provide a a, a functional savior, but they're all superficial They're all superficial. They don't do anything to the heart. And the last one are behavioral saviors. This is kind of a catchword in this day. Everything's about behavior. And I want you to know that you don't behave your way into heaven. You believe your way into heaven. So behavior saviors, the behavioral saviors, it's a tongue twister. Some good habits, another term that's being thrown around is self-mastery. It's like the answer's within you. You just need to find it. Again, all of these are superficial. You see, we know, we can know this, and this, this may be the most helpful thing that you hear all morning. We know our superficial Savior is failing us when we have one of three different things. Prolonged confusion is one. Prolonged disappointment is another. And prolonged discouragement. I just did you a favor. And I, I don't say that smugly. I say that honestly. Because if you're in a season right now where you have prolonged confusion, prolonged disappointment, or prolonged discouragement, that means that you're resting your life upon a superficial Savior. That's what that means. And to use other terminology from other theological realms, you're leaning upon an idol, and that idol will fail you. Because they all do. So we know that, they're, that these superficial saviors are failing us when we have prolonged confusion. I'm not talking about just a little moment of time or a little season. I'm talking like you just can't shake the confusion. You can't shake the disappointment. You can't shake the discouragement. You can't work it off. You can't give it off. There's something there that, you, that is just, it needs to happen on the inside of you. And the only way that that change happens on the inside of you is when the Holy Spirit of God invades you. And that only happens... When you live a life committed to Jesus, you see Jesus, is the, he's the supernatural savior and he brings true and lasting peace to every aspect of your life, to your mind, to your heart, to your body and to your soul. There's nothing superficial about that. It's every area of your life that Jesus brings life into. Say it a different way. Jesus changes hearts, he gives faith to believe, and he shares his mission with his followers. We're going to see this at the end of my talk. 
Let's go back to the beginning of this passage that we dug into. Verse 1, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. That is so profound. Verse 5, then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. So what is the angel offering? Comfort. The angel is announcing the good news of comfort. Comfort to those who are mourning. Comfort to those who are confused. Comfort to those who who feel unlovable. Comfort for those who feel unloving. Comfort for the fatherless. Comfort for the orphan. Comfort for the widow. Comfort for the lonely. See, the, the message, the first message that the angel gives to the Women is, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. They're afraid, and what do they need? They need comfort in this moment, and he provides it. Deuteronomy 31.8 says this, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you, and he will neither fail you nor abandon you. God wants to walk with you. God just doesn't want to save you. He wants to save you, and then he wants to offer you a different path of life. It's called discipleship. That's what's on offer. That's the way that we can be changed on the inside and have a lifestyle that's befitting Jesus on the outside. That is the only way when we live in discipleship to Jesus. There's another passage in Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. He cares for you. I don't know how you walked in here today. I don't know if you, were, if you just flew in here because you're on top of the world. Or I don't know if you just crawled in here because this is the only place that you could even think to be on Easter Sunday. But I want you to know that God loves you the same. That Jesus died for you the same. And that the Lord is good. And he's a refuge in times of trouble. No matter what trouble you may find yourself in or some trouble that somebody puts you in, God wants to meet you in that place. He wants to meet you personally. And he cares for those who trust in him. So the first first thing on offer was comfort. The second thing that the angel announced is the good news of understanding. I don't know about you, but I've been a little shell-shocked for about the last year for sure. Anyone else feel like that? A little shell shock from this last year. Like, what's up? What's down? What do I do? Who do I talk to? Do I mask? No mask? Do I go out in public? Who's got all the toilet paper, right? I mean, we've been just confused over this last year. And and I say that, obviously, as a joke, but that wasn't a joke. That was like, seriously, where is it all? Like, you know, you go out and survey the forest and like, that looks like a pretty good tree. I don't know. Make that one work. Sorry. 
had to. Notice the second message that the angel said. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. In other words, he's giving understanding to these two ladies. He's giving understanding. In other words, what the angel is saying is, make no mistake, Jesus is doing exactly what he said he was going to do. This is, this is not off plan. This is on plan. This is the divine plan. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said that he would. First John 5.20 says this, And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we may know the true God. And, we, and now, we who are in Christ, we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. And we know that the Son of God has come and that he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. The angels are offering understanding. I want you to know that God is offering understanding to you. Not in some superficial way, but in a supernatural way. A way that cuts to to the bone and marrow of us. To the depths of your very soul. The third thing that is mentioned in this passage is assurance. First, it was comfort. Second, is understanding. The third is assurance. Notice what what the message says in the middle of verse 6. Come and see the place where he lay. Come and see. In other words, you need assurance? Come and see the place where he lay. Don't just take my word for it. Come and see for yourself. There's something here for you to experience yourself. Do you know that there's something for you to experience with a life connected to Jesus yourself? That not through me, not through some spiritual person, not through your mama, not through your daddy, not through your kids, not through that most spiritual person is in your family, the one who you always ask to pray at family meals. You can actually have that walk all by yourself. But it's not just all by yourself because after a person commits their life to Jesus, some, that supernatural work, you start to realize, wow, this isn't just about me. This isn't about some selfish pursuit of my godliness. Instead, I'm actually brought into a whole family. Now we're all more marching under the same orders sent from Jesus. Again, there's nothing superficial about that. It is simply supernatural, but it's on offer for you. Some of you, maybe you committed your life to Jesus years and years ago, and you've gone wayward. You've just gone wayward. You've just done your own thing, and, and now you're, you're trying to come back, but you don't even know where to start because you, you, you're not at the same place you were when you left. You've actually you've slidden a lot lower than what you ever thought you could go. And maybe you don't doubt your salvation as much, but maybe you just kind of doubt a lot of other things. But perhaps... Because you've spent so much time away, you are doubting your salvation. I invite you to come and see that Jesus is good. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Don't live your life based off of somebody else's faith. Live your life based off of yours. And the faith that that God wants you to have. See, it's that kind of faith that supernaturally changes a person on the inside. And then the the behaviors follow to the outside. The fourth thing, following the next verse, is direction. 
Notice what is said in verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. In other words, don't waste time. Just go do this. Go tell the disciples. This isn't just for you, ladies. Mary Magdalene and other Mary, it isn't just for you, right? Although Mark may not have known exactly who the other Mary was, I want you to know that God knew who the other Mary was. It's no mystery to him, and you're no mystery to him either. He says, notice, then go quickly and tell his disciples. He's offering direction because the message of the gospel had to get out. That the message of the gospel, we know this because of 2,000 years of history, but the message of the gospel would get out because these ladies, think how amazing this is. Think how much, they didn't even realize how much they're caught up in, in history right here. But because they obeyed, we can obey. Think about that. Because they obeyed, we gather here together singing songs of praise and worship, knowing that Jesus did indeed resurrect. I want to ask you about this, just talking about the idea of direction and and purpose and and the Great Commission, which we're going to get to in just a couple minutes. Are there any farmers in the room? Anyone? Any, anyone, farmers, you grow anything? Gardening, gardeners, anyone? Landscapers, anybody do it reluctantly? All right, you guys all, all know this. Um, anybody only do it because their wife makes you? But let's be honest. Okay, thank you. Uh, good, you'll be able to track with this too. Um, so this isn't a, a farming thing, but it's just a life-growing thing. And I, I ran across this quote from Francis Chan that I just had to share. I'd never seen this quote before, and it's, it's a real eye-catcher. So here we go. Let's put it on the screen for him. Christians are like manure. But, all right, after we get past the shock of it, let's look at what he's saying. Christians are like manure. Spread them out, and they help everything grow better. Isn't that true? But keep them in one big pile, and they stink horribly right? You know, when the the angel offers direction, go quickly and tell. Go quickly and tell. How many of you, you committed your lives to Jesus a long time ago, but yet you just, you held that message to yourself, that you haven't followed the Great Commission, you haven't gone and told anyone, I mean, I'm not trying to step on your toes unnecessarily, but it's the word of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're in the, the going and telling business, are we not? We have, a, we have a lost world around us, do we not? And people need the gospel message, and we are partakers of the gospel message. We are ambassadors for Christ. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. The world is not going to be reconciled to God himself without the people of God spreading the message of God and the hope of God, expanding the kingdom of God. But we can't just sit in one big pile called the church. We have to get outside these walls. We have to go and tell. We have to obey like the two Marys. You know, at this church, I want you to know that we exist to help people find spiritual direction. We exist to, 
to help people find spiritual direction. We want to continually point people to Jesus. That's what we want to do. So we, we simply, simply put, I want to invite you to this. We, we invite you to be one with Jesus. To be with Jesus. To become like Jesus. And to do what Jesus did. This is true and lasting change. This is, as James would call it, faith that works. A faith that's real. That's not just intellectual. But it's practical. That it changes the heart as it changes the soul and changes your mind. And then your body and the behaviors of your body change after that. This is the great invitation. Invite you to be one with Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him personally? Has there been a moment in time where you've committed your life to Jesus? And I'm not talking like, oh, I just came, I became a Christian because I've been in church for 15 years and after a while I just get a pass. That's not true of what God says in his word. There has to be a moment in time when, when you commit your life to him, recognizing that Jesus is God and he is Savior. He resurrected and he took away He died to take away the sins of the world, but you have to recognize your own sinfulness and ask for forgiveness of that sin. And then after you ask for forgiveness of that sin, then God gives us faith to believe, and then he he fuels us and empowers us with the Holy Spirit of God, and that's where the change comes. But if, if there's been anything else that you've done, any sort of spiritual practice, and you're trying to rest upon that for your salvation, whether it's church attendance or some connection with, with a family member of being a, a part of a church or, or you just being in church for a long time, I want you to know that is all superficial. That is not salvific in the words of the theologians. That is not an offer of salvation. That's barely a pacifier. But there's nothing eternal in that. What Jesus proved to you and I when you're resurrected is that everything that he said about resurrection and everything that the Apostle Paul talked about resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 is true. So not only did Jesus resurrect, but also there's a hope and a beautiful resurrection waiting us. Amen? So we invite you to be one with Jesus, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. I'll summarize it with this this passage in Hebrews 11, 40 through 12, 1 through 3. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. You missed it. I'm going to read it again. This is great. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
It's all about Jesus, us connecting to Jesus and throwing off any sin, any toxic beliefs, toxic thoughts, toxic relationships, those things that hinder our walk as God leads us to throw those things off. As God leads. You see, when you surrender to Jesus, you will be amazed at where he leads you. And the great thing is, he doesn't let you know what's going to happen 15 years down the road or 10 years down the road because we would all be overwhelmed, right, y'all? We'd be so overwhelmed. Instead, what he offers is direction, assurance, and hope and comfort, everything that we need to go right now. Oh, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Okay, that's what I'm going to do. And if there's a time where you don't know what to do, you stop and look up at him. And then he offers what you need, the divine download, and then you go forward in grace. You see, Jesus rose from the dead. We know this. He rose from the dead as he promised, and we can trust that he will accomplish everything else that he promised to. Everything else. There's a lot that he's promised. Let's go back into the Word of God, and I want to end my talk with Matthew 28, 11 through 20. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The guards tried to devise a plan, but the plan of God always trumps man's plan. So the same people, the disciples, that the two Marys were to go tell about the resurrection of Jesus, now confirmed. They saw Jesus. Some still doubted. But what did he tell them? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Why did he do this? Because Jesus was essentially sending out these 11 men that would soon become 12, that would soon become 120, that would soon, only weeks later, become 3,000. And then only a few weeks after that would become 5,000. And then we lost track. There were so many. 
But why did Jesus say that when he says, all authority has been given to me? Jesus is saying to you and to I and to all the disciples, Jesus has authority over everything. So when, when we commit our lives to Jesus and we become disciples of Jesus, knowing that Jesus has authority over everything, that means as disciples of Jesus, we take our discipled selves and we go into a workplace and we, we give Jesus the authority in that workplace. We give Jesus authority in, in our home space. We give Jesus authority at our bedside table. We give Jesus authority in our backyards. We give Jesus authority with our money. We give Jesus authority in our marriage. We give Jesus authority with our kids. We give Jesus authority by what we do. We give Jesus the authority that is his to begin with. Jesus has been about making disciples because when he makes disciples and he, they're continually going out and telling then the ripple effect of that discipleship will change the world. It won't just change the church. Because if disciples then bring their connection with Jesus into the political space, then guess what's changed? The political space. If disciples of Jesus are are people of commerce, and then they go into their workspace as disciples of Jesus, guess what changes? Commerce. If they're small business owners... And they just hustle and they work really, really hard and the followers of Jesus. And then all of a sudden their little storefront isn't just a storefront selling goods and service. Instead, it's a storefront for the kingdom of God. Because they're disciples of Jesus. Everything in our life as followers of Jesus is something that we're bringing good news to. We're continually bringing the good news of the gospel in these spaces when we obey God. I want to end my talk with this. Jesus is our supernatural savior. You've probably gathered that so far. Supernaturally. Because it's bringing death to life. Being one with Jesus. Relationally. We're brought into the family of God to be with Jesus. Functionally, we're bringing in the kingdom of God as disciples to be like Jesus. And behaviorally, his life becomes our life and we become like Jesus. I invite the band to come forward. And I want to ask you some questions. First question is this. Would it be okay if you just close your eyes for a minute? I don't want us to get caught up in what's going on in the room right now. If there's a moment here that the, that the Spirit of God needs to speak to you, I, I don't want you to be distracted by looking at me or looking around. Or, But who would be honest with me and just say, Pastor, I'm struggling right now. I need some peace in my life. Who would be honest and raise their hand? Thank you for raising your hand. Who, who would also say, Pastor, I, I'm, just, I'm struggling with understanding. Could you yeah, I just... And just Acknowledge, say, I need some understanding. Maybe there's some, something going on in your life. Thank you for raising your hand. Maybe, maybe somebody else, and they would just say, you know what, I, 
I've been kind of living my own life and just inviting Jesus into a couple little spaces, and I need divine direction. I need to know what to do next. I need, I need to discernment and wisdom going forward. Who would say, I just need direction in my life right now? Who would say that? Thank you for raising your hand. And I want to ask this last question. Is, is there anyone in here who, as they walked in, maybe they, they thought they were a Christian, but right now they're doubting it? Is that person there? You can just raise your hand up slowly if that person's here. Lord Jesus, I come to you. We all come to you. And God, we, we lift you high. You're a supernatural savior. You offer resurrection and life. And not some limp along life. It's abundant life. It's hope-filled life. It's peace-filled life. It's joy-filled life. It's a meek life. So Jesus, we rejoice in you. We celebrate you. We celebrate the empty tomb. We celebrate the obedience of the two Marys. We, we celebrate the obedience of the disciples. And God, we live in, in the wake of what happened on those days. And Lord, we rejoice in you. We celebrate who you are. And we ask God that you would just speak to us in a mighty way. And God, even after this message is over and after we leave these spaces, God, I know that you're going to continue to work. So God, we ask that you would do whatever it is that, that you have in mind to do because you have all authority to do just that. Amen. Amen.